Hey everyone, Tony here. Just wanted to give a short explanation about some of the audio problems that you may hear during this podcast. As always, recording remotely online is a challenge, and also Dwayne and I are learning through this process. So I hope that it's not too distracting. I'm doing my best to fix it, and I appreciate your patience. We will improve in the future. Now, on to the podcast. With Tony, as always, on Tree Actions, the Human Forestry Podcast. And our guest today is Thor Clausen, who, you know, I'm not even sure exactly specific the year when I got to know you, Thor. It was probably at a training program that we took together. Uh, it was, it would have been 97, I think, 96, 97. So I took... Um, Rip Tompkins came up to Vancouver through Beaverville uh, in North Vancouver, and he did his first little training thing. And, and uh, um, Ken was supposed to uh, uh, come up and couldn't cross the border, and Rip came up and just did a demo. It was supposed to be a course, and it, there wasn't maybe a half a dozen people there, myself and and uh, old friend from the Kootenays and, and a couple other guys, and, and we just watched Rip climb a tree and everything else because I hadn't ever seen this spurless climbing stuff. And uh, he was he was awesome. It was impressive. So we signed up for a whole raft of courses, and then there was this guy uh, Dwayne Newstater who was a assistant to Ken at the time or to Rip at the time, and we were out in uh, uh, somewhere out in uh, out in the valley somewhere because um, Blair V Blair Veet arranged it for us. And that's the first time I met Blair. We were on this course, and Blair came out in his in his uh, blue dress shirt and his white hard hat, looking all prim and proper. And that's the first time you actually lied to me when you told me that you burnt the end of your pinky off with a rope that running through the rigging just to earn your right. <laughs> I, I, I remember all these details. That was a great. It was an absolutely fabulous uh, time. I, there wasn't a lot of guys there. Maybe there might have been a half a dozen guys on that course, and it was just you and Rip doing everything and and uh, and teaching us uh, teaching us a whole bunch of advanced rigging and and all sorts of stuff. So it was it was a hoot. Yeah, it was. It might have gone Delta. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then after that. Um, they came up with uh, with with the uh, a better model for the for the courses, and I took the chainsaw and the, the, the climbing and the rigging, and and then Norm became your assistant with with Arb Canada or with uh, with Arbormaster, and then I just started. You had this little deal where we could come back and redo the courses, and I was like a fly on shit. I was there all the time. And uh, finally, it came to a point where where you couldn't come to one of the courses, and Norm called me up and said, "Hey, I need an assistant." So that's that's sort of how it started. I started being his his Joe boy, and yep. got my first experience walking through the Husky Warehouse down there. And going with Norm to the Husky Warehouse was was awesome because he just had no qualms about grabbing anything off the shelves that we possibly thought we might have needed. It was yeah, it was fun. I remember uh, that pre-course climb with Rip. We were getting prepped for that class, and it was one of my first times ever working in the West Coast or in Vancouver area. And I had uh, we had ascended into these. I believe they were all they were poplars of some kind. Cottonwoods. They were huge, huge, huge cottonwoods. Yeah, they were big trees. They were huge. They were, and we were spurring up and up. And I was 
intimidated would be, you know, to say the least. And I don't know that I'd like to talk to Rip about it. He'd probably remember because he was just governor. And we'd, we'd gone up a long way. And to the one side of us was a deep ravine. And so yep. it even magnified the altitude perception. And uh, we'd gone up to about, I remember the wood was would normally fell back in Alberta. Like it was, and it was all of that. Like looking up, this is like a 40 foot or so tree. And Rip's like, and he, I, and I was keeping toe to toe with Rip because be God if I'm going to be outdone. I got to show myself, right? And I look across and he's beside me. I don't know how far away, but he's in the tree beside me. And he looks at me and he says, I'm taking it right here. <laughs> and I was, I wasn't prepared for that. Like I wasn't, I wouldn't have normally ever taken a top at that height. But, I mean, these were big trees. At the I base. remember those trees. They were about 140. So you were about the 100-foot level where you, where Rip was popping a top out. I did. Same thing happened to me on, on one of the first major rigging courses I did with Norm. We were down at UBC. And it was, again, it was about a 120- or 130-foot tree. And Norm's talking to the guys, and he says, strip it out, prep it out so that we can do square block rigging on this thing. So I went up to the top. And that wasn't too bad because I'm used to, you know, trees well over 100 feet where I'm, where I'm at here. And I took the top off, but it was a little, little strange. And the first one to go up, there's about oh, 10, 10, 11 guys, and this is the – Three courses in a row. It was the climbing, the the uh, cha- the chainsaw, the climbing, and then they and then the rigging. And the first one, the so only one to go up to the top, because I blew the top out at about ninety feet. And the only one to go up that high was actually Karen Blairvich's one. And she went to the top and rigged out the first first piece, and that kind of you know put it on the boys to go up after that. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Wow, you know that is interesting. There, there's a lot of um, my memory of that time is there was so much that happened in that first few years. Like really, so much that happened and took place. It grew so it grew so fast. You know, it just it grew so so quickly. It wasn't. You know, I think I'd hung out with Norm at about three or four courses. And then I got the call to do, you know, to help him out. And I, I assisted him on three and four. And then I got the call from you saying, hey, Norm can't get out there. You know, uh, I'm going to ship you the gear. There you go. And and off you off you go. It just, it was a little more um, fly by the seat of your pants, if you will. You know, I'd, I'd been a certified arborist for a long time. And I've been in the tree care industry essentially my whole life working in the orchards and everything else. So, and it was fun. I, I enjoyed that's the one thing I missed after I sold to Bartlett is I couldn't go train anymore, and I miss it. I miss it a lot. I like watching these guys that surpass anything that I could have ever thought of. You know, when you think about Brian French, you know, ascending the Giants, coming to my climbing course, you know, and you see this guy when he's first starting out, and now he's got books and teaches around the world, and, and it's just amazing to see these guys. You know, I had we had an experience here which was phenomenal just to – give you an idea of the community. We, we had the um, PNW, the, the the ISA conference in Kelowna. This is before I sold to Bartlett. I think it would have been around um, 2007, 2008, something like that, maybe maybe a little earlier. Yeah, it would have been right around there. So I had at, at my house, I had Michael Tain sleeping in my daughter's bunk bed. I had I had Rupert and his his guys sleeping in the floor of the shop in the barn. I had Brian French in a in a tree hammock in the field. I had Ed Carpenter. I think he was in the spare room in the house. 
and and Samson Ropes had sent us up a couple of four by four totes of, of cut ants. And we sat in the shop till all, all hours of the morning, drinking beer and telling stories and splicing rope to give away his prize. I mean, that's, it was an absolutely amazing thing. And then you, you see these guys where Ed's gotten to and where Brian's at and still keeping in good touch with Ruby over at Bouchard. You know, so it was a pretty amazing, amazing thing. And those connections were all through our Arbor Master of Canada. Yep, 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 absolutely they are. And then... You know, uh, I'm curious how you viewed the, you know, you're, you're, you talk about, Norm, you know, talked very similarly about, you know, the basically, uh, you know, keep coming back and you'll be put to work potentially, which wasn't even the intended model. It just sort of evolved that way. But then moving it into the trainer model, like, because you, you, you're one of the few that that came before that and came through that and yeah we did the first when when you separated from arb canada when you when you moved from arb canada over or, or arbor master over to arb canada we had that first train the trainer and we did that in conjunction with scott prophet down at his shop in in uh, atlanta in georgia but man he hired an executive chef that used to cook for an airline buddy of his like a private airline so he hired this executive chef and the food i don't know if you remember it at all i put on we were there for seven days and it was intense like we were balls to the wall from eight in the morning till we got back to scott's place in the evening and i put on 11 pounds in seven days that first night that first night the guy shows up there and he's got Chocolate bourbon pecan pie with homemade French vanilla ice cream. Now, after about the fourth piece of that, I'm going, Jesus, I got to slow down a little bit. <laughs> it was, it was, it was amazing. And to be sitting around Scott's shop with those guys and, and going through that, I think that was your first shot at an in, intensive program. Uh, you know, in the base of the the all the instructor training and stuff. So, I mean, I think Johnny Ransom was there, and myself, and and uh, Hordike, and and um, you and uh, Norm was down there. Was, Warren was there too. Seven, right? seven, 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 seven of us total. Total was included. There was a Warren there too. The Warren Warren there. Uh, Bruce, I don't think Doctor Smith. I don't think Doctor Smith was there. Was there? No, he might have been at that one. I think he was. Kane was, was there. Kane was there. It was just—it was incredible. I mean, it was—it was, it was so much, it was so much, so much going on. So much going on. Kane wasn't there yet. Kane wasn't at that one. Uh, Javier, Otis, Otis was there. Oh yeah, yeah. House House had to be there because that's where the platoon started. Right? Um, not, no, I don't think so. That was that was after that. That was at the first trainer. That was at the first train. The trainer that was down in Tampa, in in Florida. Florida. And that yeah. was the, the, first, the first, the first, the first, the first uh, train the trainer uh, train again, down, down, down there. Yeah. Down there. That, was, that was that was interesting too. We, do you remember when we showed up there? The guy walked us around, showing us the, the fire ant piles and telling us what crocodile barking sounds like, and that it's mating season. Different get up from where we're at. And the manatees in the river. Tane was not at the Tony the platoon wording. I believe it was Bruce, um, or not, or maybe it was someone else that maybe Tane was there. I didn't. I I don't. I don't think Tane was at in there in 07. I, maybe I'm not sure. I'll have to check. But I usually would remember that. But maybe he was. You might be right. I have to look at the pictures. 
Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was uh, that was the first one. Um, and I don't know, Tony, were you not working with that at, yet at the time, or where what? No, uh, 2007. I was still working with working with a family company, and I think I I did an Arbor Master course in probably. I did one in 97, 98. And then, so I knew Scott and Rip and I was volunteering at the ITCC since like 2000. So I knew Scott through, um, those, those avenues. And then I think there was a point where he had, cause he North American training solutions, when he started, it was North American tree service. And then he started the tree, the training company on the side. And it was like him and Otis and Warren. And I, what happened is he had come, they did, they were, doing those Vermeer seminars and there's a Vermeer dealer like an hour from my house. And I think Scott flew all the way up to do it like in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I saw him at the ITCC. Yeah. I saw him at the ITCC in 2007 and I think it was Hawaii. Anyway, we're standing at the urinal and we're taking a piss and I look over at Scott. I'm like, Scott, why did you fly all the way to Harrisburg to do that Vermeer seminar when I'm an hour down the road? He's like, we need to talk. And that's, he invited me to that was 2008. That's when he invited Scott, me. To come Scott to sent me to one down in um, Fresno, California. I went. I went down there by myself, and I mm-hmm. met up with uh, Scott Johnson from Memphis. Oh yeah, he was the Vermeer. Oh, yeah. And uh, I talked. I, I don't think I've talked to him in five or six years. I gave him a call a while, while back. Him and I got along. We were at a, mm-hmm. quite a few events together and hung out quite a bit. But mm-hmm. but went down there. That was. I got to climb my first eucalyptus down there. Got up about. Right. I guess it must have been maybe forty people. It was a big seminar. It was a, it was a really big seminar, mm-hmm. and we were out in this area where they they had these ukes that had to come down. and And I, I think I was up about sixty feet, and there's a big bark plate comes up. There's a freaking spider the size of a inner plate, and of course you're all tied in. You can't <laughs> fucking run away and and that. And, right. And the one guy, the one one little guy on the ground, he said, "Oh, he says just brush it out of the way. It doesn't bite. It doesn't bite." You know. But that was that was fun to be able to climb and rig and do the demo and then drop this big uh, big uke. It had to be almost three feet through the butt. It was a that was a fun fun seminar. Yeah. And then on the way back to the airport, Scott 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 Johnson and I he picks me up in the airport. He's going to drop me off. His flight's pretty early at a shitty flight setup. I guess Scott was a little cheap to fly me direct. But I went from went from Fresno to L.A. L.A. Seattle Seattle to Spokane, where I'd driven driven down from here, and. Uh, as we're driving out, Scott points over at these mountains. He says, "Hey, that's that's the Sierra Nevadas. That's that's we're about an hour from where General Sherman is, the world's largest train." I'm fuck me, that's on my bucket list. And we're on the way to the airport. Would have stayed an extra couple of days. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, those premier seminars. And that's kind of how like Nat started. Um, you know, they were just doing the seminars, and it was a great place as a trainer to like kind of cut your teeth. Um, cause like the first, cause right after the 2008, 2008 trainer, trainer, I went, I went and, and Bruce, Bruce and I did a bunch of, um, was that the one, was that the one, the first one in Tampa, 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 that 2008, that's when I first met you. And then the second one where we had to do our certification or was it the first one? It was the second one. Well, we did them at both, but, um, it was... We did them both. We did them all three, actually. That, you remember you were we were talking with Norm about this yesterday, and and he did the chainsaw station in Georgia, and you remember you were the risk assessment guy, and you continued on with that. You yeah. did the yeah. yeah. I did a lot on that course. That was that was that was one of the most intimidating things. Is when you had to actually. Sh- 
teach the course and and demonstrate. So that they had uh, loblolly pines down there. I've never never been in those. Holy pitchy! So I was lucky. I was the first guy up the tree. I had to rig out a big limb. I had to set everything else rig out. And as you're setting it up, you're looking down, and there's yourself and Scott Prophet and Bruce and you know a lot of the main guys of the industry that everybody knows sitting there watching you with their little notepads. And it, it, it was slightly intimidating. And then the, the next guy up after me uh, was, was, was Dr. Smooth, Dr. and then it was Bruce. Then it was Bruce. Uh, Silverback. Silverback. I don't know if you remember the video that he took when he got down. He was just covered in Covered in just completely just covered in pitch. His legs, everything was covered in pitch. And he did this little snippet about this is the new climbing new gear where you don't need anything. You just stick to the tree as you go up. I do remember it. I still have it saved. The show Dirty Jobs was considering doing an episode on Arborist. And Scott asked me to dig up footage and that stuff because I had contacted North American at the time. And uh, that was one of the dirty it can get, right? <laughs> I know that was it was it was a blast, and, and, and we did our felling on palm trees, which was pretty which was for guys from the Pacific Northwest up here, or south southwestern British Columbia, Pacific Northwest states, to go down to go down and fall palm trees. Palm trees was pretty interesting. Was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I know a lot of people commented on that, having the, the, the you know, the not only the the enjoyment of it and the, the novelty of it, but also the the nervousness of it being tested on it. It's a freaking palm tree. I never felt a palm tree before. <laughs> yeah. It's like a bundle of straws, man. It was just like a bundle of straws. Yeah, some of the things that we were we were able to do, like we did uh there was there was um the uh, ISA conference in in Victoria, and uh, we we were able through through Arb Canada to be able to set up a, an elevator in the tree, and and bring all these municipal arborists up a hundred feet into this redwood so that they could overlook Victoria and the harbor. I think we we ran up. It must have been thirty people we brought up to the top that day. Zeb was there and myself and and uh, a couple other guys running this this thing. And at the end of the conference, Shigo was the keynote speaker, and. Uh, uh, we all went over to uh, Rupert's place down in Bouchard on the bay, and we had salmon and, and prawns and, and crab dinner like Rupert put on a spread with, with Alex and his wife. And to be able – you had the opportunity to, to spend a lot of time with Alex, but, you know, to spend a few hours over dinner with him and his, and, and his, and his, uh, and his daughter and stuff was phenomenal. That's the only re- – I don't have very many regrets in life. I should have a lot more, but I don't regret a lot of things I did. I should, but I don't. The only regret I had – the only regret I have is you called me up and, and, and you said, hey, I'm going down to – I think it was Den- – is it Denbo? Wherever, wherever Alex was from? Uh, yeah, yeah what, what was the town? It starts with a D. But anyway, you called you- – Durham. Yeah, you, I still have that CD of him reading all his pithy points, and I listen to that every once in a while. And he hit the clock in the background, and his wife chuckling, and it was it's amazing. But uh, you had invited me down to 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 come and spend a week down with Shigo, and because you you would go down just about annually, and uh, and said, hey, you know, you want to come down with me, and and I, I just couldn't swing it. 
and and then he died the next year and it was just one of those that's my only regret i would have loved to have gone down there and and had that personal time personal time you know because i had a little bit of an experience at that conference i met him a couple other times but that was just through our candidate and our candidate event and and just the people that we knew that we knew that was offering opportunities yeah, you know, I'm curious, Thor, how you, you know, you're, you know, there's so many people that have, well, a lot of, I'm not so the right way to put it, you know, we've had a maintained good relationships with, with people that, you know, maybe found us as students or friends and then evolved into instructors and then, you know, through circumstance, like selling a business or like in your case, and then, and have continued to have that friendship, um, you know, how... You know, and, 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 you know, part of this is to, you know, trying to connect those experiences, you know, life, the experiences of being connected with Arbor Canada, how has that continued or has it continued to affect your career or does it still play a role? Because you gave a lot of, there's a lot of free time given, a lot of, oh, a yeah. lot of, oh, yeah. you know, like there's just so much you invest in being a trainer, period, let alone a trainer for us. And, and you know, somebody that's with us now, how would you characterize that experience? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade any of that for anything in the world. Absolutely anything in the world. Because I know there's, there's guys that I haven't touched base with in a long time, you know, like Johnny Ransom. Andrew, I touch base with me every few years, just reconnected with Norm. You know, yourself, we hook up once or we talk once in a while. But but I know I, I know in, in, in um, deep down that I can, if I don't see these guys for 10 years, I know I can call them up and it's going to be like yesterday. You know, one of the um, prime example of that is is when our, when our uh, good friend James had his accident last year, you know, and uh, um, I, called, I called him up and I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And, and Tane was there sitting with him and Tane and I talked for probably an hour and a half. You know, I got to say my goodbyes to James. James was an interesting guy. He's was, was the first guy to really piss me off at a course. So he came to everything that I taught and he became a great trainer. He was a great guy, but he came to every course that I ever taught. And we did this advanced rigging course. He brought up the goods. I had a goods, you know, we had all this gear. We had these huge oak trees that had to come down for a condo development con. It, it, and we were doing picks and lifts and drifts and all sorts of, you know, unreal rigging that you'd never, ever be able to do in a regular kind of scenario. And then we, we always got the, uh, the student evaluations at the end, you know, and everybody is mm-hmm. checks that nine and 10 box and exceeds expectations and blah, blah, blah. And I pick up James's and it's all fives. It's all met expectations, not excels or none of that stuff. It's just met my expectations i was pissed because i'd never had like it was it was like a a weird adjudication you know like it was a the first real critique you know that it's so so next course he was up at he was actually assistant and i said what the hell is this bullshit and he says look he says, i've been to all, your, been courses, all your courses and my expectations, and my expectations are incredibly, are incredibly high, high for what for our what candidate, our delivered. candidate delivered and what they delivered, and what they delivered. my expectations were so high you, you, you met my expectations but they were high you know you didn't exceed you know, you didn't them exceed because it's hard to do that because you set such a high standard for the stuff we'd already taught so it was a real eye for me you know it's an iron sharpens iron kind of kind of guy 
And he had that. He had his. From Bellingham. From Bellingham. He had. I think it was Dan. Was his right hand guy down there. And it looked like his little kid brother. They looked identical. Same ponytail. Everything else. Everything else. He drug around with them. He was fun to hang out with. And it's interesting because, you know, I. And I think uh, James was pretty much like his supervisor taught him to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm from, not from, sure how from that. Victoria from Royal Roads. I, I, that sounds really, um, really familiar. You know, I believe he has blank. passed away. From Victoria from Royal Roads. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. If he hasn't, he he's, he's, he's very yeah. well. I know that's Rupert Bad Crohn. And I talked to the. So she, um, yes, he did. He did pass away. Yeah. I taught a whole course in that massive arbutus tree out in front of the castle. So you imagine this castle and this massive arbutus tree, and you do the whole climbing course inside this tree. It was it was awesome. And then we did the felling the felling course. My son, I think he was fourteen, and he used to come with me on those things. So Dave. We're doing hazard and danger tree falling and bucking. And there's this cedar tree that had to be four or five feet at the butt, maybe 160 feet had failed and wiggled itself in amongst all these other trees. There were pinch points and tension wood fricking everywhere. And Dave says, with in front of the class, he takes us up to this spot. This is where we're going to start. And he says, he looks at me and he says, uh, and you want intimidation. And, and a little bit of fear. You know, he says, uh, <laughs> he says uh, I don't know how to attack this one, attack one here. This one he says, we got to get this out of here. Here's your saw. Pick this one apart. <laughs> You're looking at this You're thing, just trying to figure out where things are going. Things are going to fly. You just got to figure out where they're flying to. It's a blast. He was so much fun. I think it's been part of the... You know, the mystique or whatever it is about... Are you know the way we deliver training because we and it's it's the undeniable part of it that people even the worst critic has to say we don't just sit and talk about it and we we take more or less what we're given you know there's been the odd arbor master disaster as they sometimes get called uh, but but you know like it's reality and we deal with it and we we uh, we we stand and deliver and do it you know it's not i don't know how many times people would say even at a seminar we would just be doing a chainsaw seminar and guys like you actually felled the tree and cut it and showed us like you we watched you drop a tree not just drop a tree but you told us where it was going to land you put a mark where it was going to land you like you held yourself accountable you made yourself accountable you did it and then you continued to show us he said like i've just never seen anything like that you know and remember remember when we did well a good example of that is when we were contracted with fortis the power company in the kootenays and, and you and I basically are driving out there developing a course that we're going to teach them. And they get out in the, the, the bush, and they we couldn't use high-tension lines. We did in Oliver. They shut down an actual power line that we were able to drop trees onto and, and play with. But when we got out to Nelson, they had strung a power line between these two poles that we were able to dump trees on and show them how to get them off of the trees. And then when Norm and I went out, they took us out to this uh, the dam site. We got a dam tour. It was a pretty nice dam tour. And they had this cluster frick of logs in the bottom of this catch basin, and they always had difficulty with it. And they wanted to know how to get down inside there and buck it all up and clean it out safely. So, so you kind of 
developing these things as you go. It was, it was, it was a hoot. And then you, you bastard, you turn that fucking heated seat on the whole trip out there. My ass is sweat, my back is sweat. What the hell? I had this seen was freaking awful. But, uh, I've never had a heated okay. seat before. And it's it okay. took them almost a day and a half before you started laughing so hard that you had to give in to it. It was a rental, and we loaded up, and I was like, oh, look at that. That's interesting. And uh, I turned them on on the way out, just, just trying them out. I think went. And we were driving along, and you, 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 you were sitting there squirming, and I totally forgot about the seat. And well, I was driving. driving. And you're sitting in the passenger seat. Like, just... I do not understand this friggin' truck. And, and I remember the one time you, you had your hat, you took your hat, and you whipped it into the dash, stuffed it between the windshield and the, the vent, and it was like, I do not get this friggin' truck. It is so hot. <laughs> And I would laugh so hard, and I had every intention of telling you. But you'd you'd get it out of your system, and we'd get on talking about something else, and it would be an hour later, two hours later, and it was maybe a four or five hour drive. Like it happened three or four times, maybe. And then the next morning is when I said it because we got in and we had about a half hour drive, and we're halfway through it, and that was it. You're like, I do not understand this vehicle. <laughs> and I finally was able to tell you, and you were like, you bastard. And you know what? Or that has continued to be a thing. I, it may have faded now. I don't know. It'd be interesting to know what that. Oh, no. I never talked with the guys no. about it, but it happens in my family to this day. The boys do it. I mean, it it is like maybe I don't think we invented it, but it certainly has caused a legacy ripple to stay throughout there. Tony, so you know, it is. It is. It's it's standard operating procedure when you're with another Arbor Canada instructor <laughs> to like serendipitously reach over and turn their seat on. In fact, you like it's it's a thing. Like, yeah, well, that's where like, it started it, with this it, little one there, dude. Yeah, I knew that, and it's like, but it's what it's funny how those little stories become like part of the culture, right? Because I mean, it is if, like if you're the driver, you have to reach over. Like if you don't do it, you're not an Arbor Canada instructor. I w- I will give you a hard time if you don't try and do it to me because it's just part of what we there do. It was another thing it's that just in, in Vancouver. It was just, I think. <laughs> It was my my first my second course i think i was assisting norm on just my second one and and he'd stayed out at blair beach's place and i stayed at the hotel on ubc at ubc and rupert is evans is banging on my banging on my patio door in the morning and he jumps over the balcony and him and norm had set this up you know and i'm i'm standing there you know and, and he's rupert's going oh norm man man he's like just got gooned last night. He's sick as a dog. I can't wake him up, man. He's not going to show up. You got to teach the whole whole course by yourself. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. I assisted one course, dude. You know, and they just they just played me like a fiddle. It was yeah. They got they got me pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah. The one thing the one thing that I super appreciated, especially especially with Dwayne Norm, like we were so tight. You, you know, still are that that you could say anything. Well, we did this. Um, this is when um, Neil Thiessen did our first thing, and we had to give mm-hmm. we had to give the negative criticisms, and and we had to stand with our you know about a foot apart from each other with our hands behind our backs. And uh, Norm gave me a criticism that I still use to this day, and it's and it was it was humbling, and it, and it, it really made me think because I'm I'm six four. You know, at, th- at that time, I was my climbing weight was two forty. I'm like not a small guy, and mm-hmm. and and uh, and I'm passionate about about the industry, and I was super passionate about teaching. So, Dwayne, Dwayne, and I are standing there face to face, and 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 he looks at me, and says, 
you got to be careful. He said, you intimidate students into learning. You're not, you know, you're, you're just your size and your passion and your voice. He said, you intimidate people. You've got to really, you know, dial it down. And no one had ever told me anything like that before. So I catch myself still, even with my, my guys in the shop that I'm running and stuff that I really have to, I have to be aware of my, make my size. I've got to make myself a little bit more you know, diminutive, more reachable so that you're not intimidated. So not intimidated. I use that bit of advice that, that, that uh, Dwayne Forster. <laughs> and my, my one to him is he's, my, the, worst him is he's the worst he's fucking driver. He's on the brake, on the gas, on the brake, on the gas. That's why I tried to drive every time him and I were around. Fair play, you're not the first person to say that. Um, and, and you know, one thing I will say, Thor, you were always good about that. Like, uh, whatever it was, you know, uh, you would, you would take it seriously. Like when we, when a grounded assessment was given and you would learn from it and you would, you would, you would, uh, take it to heart and you would change, like you would make a change. Um, it was impressive. And, uh, you know, it was, it was important to me. You guys, you guys and, 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 and teaching, like, you know our industry. I mean, we've we've lost people. I just had one of my climbers here fall thirty feet a couple of last month. You know, got banged up pretty good. You know, and and we know what happened to to Dave Lutz. You know his his incident. You know Scott Prophets had a fall. I I know a, a bunch of people that have that have passed away in our industry. You know, uh, um, Holly and, and at the coast. You know him and I sat on the board of directors for the uh, West on the board of directors for the Arborist Apprenticeship Committee. And he came to all the courses and he was a good guy. He knew what he was doing. He made one mistake. You know, he didn't double tie like we're supposed to. And he had a, his, his lanyard failed and he fell to his death. And so we're teaching these guys, you know, so if you're not passionate about it and, and, and you don't really have the best interest of everybody at heart, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, and that's that's how I felt, and that's he I mean, you would feel that in in, 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 all, in of all of us. And, 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 and then guys like, guys Bruce, like Bruce was the same. Was the same. Bruce, Bruse Bruse was Bruse was amazing. Bruce was amazing. Like his, his, his passion for people, for people. Yeah. you know, and his care of people. Who was a little mini monkey that hung around with Otis? Otis, 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 Otis was a passionate little individual. Yeah, 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 yeah. He still is, and you know, Otis still. I think still has that passion for like he's still involved in in his own way, isn't he, Tony? Yeah, he does some subcontract climbing, and every time I talk to what I've noticed about Otis is he's always five steps ahead of everybody else. I swear to God, like every time he'll he'll t- like last time I talked to him, he's like um I don't know he was like buying boats and he was refinishing and and then selling them, so like he was flipping boats, and then like the, then the the market around him just exploded, and then he's like, oh, I'm tired of doing that, and he moved on to something else. But no, he's still climbing, still going at it. I mean, what I learned from a guy like Otis was like the funniest thing I ever saw. Otis and I think Bruce was with me. It, it, like there was this, I think it was it was a mirror seminar, and there was someone there, and he's basically Otis was getting heckled, right? Like this guy's like, you know, I guess the guy wanted to teach the course, but he he wasn't, and and Otis just looked at him straight in the face, says, "Hey, you back there, why don't you just shut up? I'm trying to teach here," and the guy's like was so shocked he just he just shut up and he didn't say like it just totally shut him down it was like i'm like you can do that and, and bruce is over there like <laughs> you know like, but it's now i'm not quite that bad but you know from that like watching the other instructors teach i'm like you know what sometimes it's just best to deal with something like that head on you know like like hey you know dude like if you think like you know you're kind of distracting here you know if you can't you know, keep your conversation down. It's, it's, it was just cool things. Like he that was neat. That was the one, one, uh, I think you were there, Tony, in that, in that, in, in Tampa, we had that one night 
where everybody was just gathered around one of the cabins, showing off all the different gear that they were making, the splices that they were making, and Otis had a whole bunch of stuff that was kind of out there. It was never really practical. I still have half that stuff in my bag. You know, I kept it all. I still got, Rip gave me a piece, the very first piece of, um, uh, what was that? Uh, what was that? that thinner rope that, that, that Samson made for the first, for the first time. time. It was, it was uh, uh, Ultratech or or Ultratech or Ten X, but no, no, it was it was a climbing line. It was the Seven Sixteens climbing line. The first foray at that velocity, that? velocity, velocity, and it was the first the first piece that he was given to test. And and we were at a uh, I was at a course somewhere with 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 Rip, and he he gave me that piece, so I still have that piece. And then the, another, like things that you did, you, you got to experience. Like the, the first time we went down to the Samson Ropes, and it was, I think it was, the guy's name was Dr. Chu, was the, was the, head, the head chemist down there. And he says, don't tell me how to make a rope. Tell me what you want the rope to do, and I'll make it. And that's where we started. That's where we came up with um, ice, which is, which, is, which is, other than the coating, which changed, is still the same thing that we climb on. To, and to, to, sit to sit there and look at it and be a part of it, it. You know, it's you know, pretty, pretty, pretty amazing, pretty amazing to, to sit down and go, and go through the factory. I still had a piece of half inch line that was, uh, that was, that was an experimental line that, 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 that was a 16 braid, but it was a different style of braid that I kept and a few other things like that. Yeah, it was a good trip. I agree. It was fun to be part of all of that, you know, and. It's interesting. I, I, I'm curious what both your thoughts are on, because it seems to me, like, I don't know that that has stopped happening or if we're just not as involved in it. I'm not sure what's happened, but, like, because it seems like what happens now, like, we get, you know, I feel like we're the old guys that get told, look, this is the new cool thing, and it's like, well, who came up with this and where did this come from? And, oh, it's been tested and it's been tried by all the, you know, the cool kids sort of like, and it's like, I thought we still had a lot of the cool kids on our team, but um, like it seems like R and D has taken on almost a manufacturer's discretion or license, and it isn't as quite as much from the field anymore or as organic. I'm curious what your observations are on that. Mine, mine are much, mine are much the same because when when we started with the boric culture, like the, the the first I'll go way back is the first course that uh, that was a climbing course that Dave Slidell came. To, and he came to learn the Blake hitch, right? That's that's why he got there. And then we showed him the Blake hitch and how to tie it and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, this is called a painter's hitch. We used to use this when we're painting buildings, same hitch, right? You know, and but it wasn't was never in, in the aboriculture industry. And then we moved on to, you know, the the, the Swabish and the Newt and the Diesel and the Valdetain and all that kind of stuff. And and then things got more accelerated. But I think I think what's happened is it's just a a, pro, a progression. Our, our boriculture was just basic. So basic when we got started in it, you know, spurs a lanyard and a rope, and that's it. And and gear has been developed, and it's become it's become the proper industry that it should be. Partly because of guys like yourself and 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 Scott Prophet with the Porter Wrap and 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 uh, these companies that allowed us to do things and test things. You know, I got uh, got to climb on the very first zigzag. You know, and and uh, those kind of things. It was a prototype, and, and Dunlop was at a conference, and because I was part of Arb Canada, you know, he came over and started to chat and said, "What do you think of this thing? I'm testing out, and you got to play with it, and all that kind of stuff." And 
And I think what's happened now is it's, it's progressed way beyond just the basics that companies themselves are starting to do research into this and are doing tweaks and things. No, Tony Sherrill was pretty good at coming up with stuff and marketing the first things. Keep on a few things. Yeah, no, he was also very involved. And, you know, he's not gone or anything. I, and I, I talked to Toby just the other day. But, uh, yeah, he's not as involved in quite the same way, for sure. But, yeah, Tony, what do you think? No, I agree with Thor. I think that's part of it. There was there was more room for innovation, or it was at a basic level. I also think, too, that it, like, I think now a lot of the manufacturers, they basically choose choose the people they want to talk to based on a lot of social media. Who can help them market you know, it? Like who's popular mm-hmm. and and I and I think that that's driving a lot. And that's not to say that those guys and girls are bad. There's a lot of great people out there that have a big social media presence that are excellent arborists and very skilled. But I think that their selection process is a little different because they have more to select from now. Because you know, back in early 2000s, there was there was pretty much us, and you know, there wasn't there wasn't the social media presence. So who would you go to? Um, you know, you'd go to talk to people at climbing competitions. Yeah, that was us. You'd go to ISA conference. Yeah, you know, that was us. So it was a I select market. I think it was market. driven too, though. Like, and, I, I think all of all of the guys at that at, at Nats and especially Arb Canada and and, and Arbor Master, they had a want to move the industry forward as a whole. You know, just to to advance the industry and advance the gear and and make it safer. That was the whole. That was the whole deal. I mean, we can all tell stories. You know, about things that have happened. You know, I, mm-hmm. and before I, uh, you know, took took some of the courses, I had some pretty. I got a picture of me at my father in law's place when I was probably about, just not after, long after I was married, probably about twenty seven. I'm up about fifty feet in this big willow tree. I got my legs wrapped around it with a chainsaw, not tight into nothing, no gear, no hard hat, no nothing. And I, I got, I still got that picture, just because I had balls as big as Manhattan, and it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't scare me. I had no idea. You know what was out there until I started going through the courses and the climbing courses and and figured how close I came to freaking dying so many times. You know, and and that was I think our goal was to was to just make people safe and comfortable. You know, I had one. This is a good story. Norm and I were teaching out at at UBC, and it was the end of the three day course. We had this school teacher. He never even picked up a chainsaw, rope, nothing. And he's, he takes the climbing, he takes the rigging and everything else. And, and he's, he's up in the tree. So Norm's got me up in his, I'm tied in at about 80 feet and in a side tree. So I could swing over and attach to the tree and help these guys tie their knots and come back and help them with their cuts and all that kind of stuff. Well, this guy, his knees were knocking and things were shaking and you just can, you can swing over and you can talk them through it. Help be safe. And he was comfortable by the time he did a second or third rig. No, he was comfortable. Bad part of that day is I didn't get to come down the whole freaking day. I was up there for eight hours. Norm orders pizza for lunch. And he takes two pieces of pizza, slaps them together, closes them on my line, and she serves me freaking lunch. And off he goes. Yeah, Norm, I can see Norm doing that. That's for sure. Oh, man. And how many... Five, six years, Thor, that you were like a, a lead instructor, you'd say, with us, or was it, I'd say? It was, it would have been, yeah, it would have been all of that. It would have been, it would have been probably six, probably six. 
probably six years. And then when I sold, when I sold the Bartlett, I mean, my, my 2008, 2009 kicked my ass. I was building, I was building my company to sell the Bartlett so that I could, I could go do more training and, and have more free time. And I'd already been in negotiations with, with Noah Violini out at the coast. Um, cause we'd done a, a, a crane course with him. I'd, I'd led a, a crane removal course on, on his property for Bartlett. And, um, uh, I had taken on a lot of debt with equipment and, and, uh, it just, it kicked my ass. And so you go, you go two months and all of a sudden you're $80,000 into your line of credit and going, holy shit, if I don't put out this fire, I'm going to lose my house, my farm, everything. And, uh, this isn't long after a divorce that took the first half of it. And, uh, and, uh, um, so I called Noah and, and uh, we came up with a deal. It got me out of debt, gave me a good job. Bartlett's a great company to work for. They get leased back on my property and things, but I can't, I can't just step away like I used to be able to do to go, to go train for three weeks or a month at a time. You and I did a stint where we did a train the trainer in Florida, packed for this trip. We did a train the trainer in Florida, in Tampa. I think that was trainer two or trainer three. And then flew to Winnipeg to give the same course to the city of Winnipeg staff. We get off the plane, it's minus 22. You know, so you go from like, you know, just, just hot to, to, to cold. I got, I actually, I got a, I've got a coffee meeting actually next week with a guy from the Winnipeg city staff that took his courses with us. And he's now moved out to the Okanagan and he's he's retired from the city of Winnipeg and he's trying to find a job with a municipality here. And he called me up and he said, Hey, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so, you know, I took you to Utah in Winnipeg. So it's pretty cool. So I'm going to go have coffee with him next week and see if I can help him get in with the regional district. Nice. We had a training planning meeting with Martha, uh, last week, and uh, your name came up. Yeah, we're still kicking around out there. Uh, yes, I believe he is. I, I'm not sure what he does. Yeah, he was he was he was interesting because he's, he's another guy that fell 40 feet. And, and onto his back and, and survived. And, and I asked dudes, this is how long does it take to call 40 feet? And his description was, that was it. That was it. Was he the one that had the, uh, the dotted line around, around his no, neck? No, no, that, there was a guy at City Winnipeg that, but it wasn't Lutz. No, Lutz never did work for the city. Not Lutz, dudes. Dudes. His name was still there. No, that was, he's not there anymore. He never was in management. I know what you mean. I can't remember his name. No, dudes is still there. Dudes is a supervisor now, and he still works there. But that's that's the when you guys started City of Winnipeg. I remember my first my first time out there. These guys were were good climbers. You've done a bunch of courses with them already. But they had a budget, larger and more training budget for them to deal with damage material because it was just a given they were going to smash a bus stop and a fence and stop signs and whatever, just wrecking shit because they didn't know what they were doing. So they took that that money and they put it into the training budget and and they stopped wrecking stuff. Well, they had the fatality. They had the fatality, and after. We know they had to do training, and it was it was a couple years later that the head of forestry. But he said it was it was more than, like the total sum was more than double what the training cost, uh, in damages. It was just a, a, a line item. I think it was ten or fifteen grand a month 
or twenty grand a month was, during Elmer moves. It was over hundred grand a year. It was well over hundred grand a year. It was hundred grand a year. It was well over hundred grand a year. Damage. It was just in the budget line. It wasn't even a, an argument. It was just that's what happens. And it, because if they didn't have a bucket, couldn't get to it, and they weren't supposed to climb it. They would just cut it, and they would tell the guy, look, we're going to fix it, but this is what's going to happen, and the homeowner would be like, okay, so you know, take whatever you want off the fence and the deck. We will hopefully avoid the eavesdrops, but we'll fix that too. And they would just, just smash Bornfield. You know, you don't need any training on how to rig. I need training on how to fix roofs. I ain't got time for training on rigging. I know how to do that. I need to how to fix a hole in a in a in a roof. That's what I need to know. <laughs> have you guys have you guys, guys, guys uh, talked much or talked to Bill Wild lately? lately? Have not. And I don't think Tony ever knew Bill. Bill 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 was the head head guy for the city of uh, New Westminster, and we 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 did a lot of our training out at the West Coast for city, for city New Westminster. New Westminster. And, and, and Bill and I became, became pretty good friends. I'm talking probably about four or five years. I stayed at his house a few times when I was, when I was, when I was traveling through. And he's been, he's been up to visit. And the legend that is Billy Wild. And he's retired. And we still do training. And we still do training for the city of New West in like that he introduced and that legacy that he started still continues it was yeah he was an amazing amazing individual his you know you, you we were talking about the camaraderie and stuff with the people you meet and things like that i was going you know i just separated from my divorce it was a mutually and an amicable thing i think it was started because you and norm were at my place one day <laughs> anyway but that's another story <laughs> i'm not kidding either uh <laughs> anyway uh yeah, I'm having a having just a down day. Just one of those, you know. I, I don't know if you've ever been if you've been through anything like a divorce or a traumatic event or in your life or something like that. You have ups and downs with a with a loss, and just having one of those days. And the phone rings, and Bill Bill, you know, it's Bill on the other end of the phone, and he said, "Well, you know what? I don't know what it is." He says, "But today I was just thinking about you. What's up?" And you know, we had this long conversation, basically talking me off the wall. And we talked for over an hour. He, he, he said, hey, let's drive down to the beach. Go for a walk on the beach. Let's talk this out. Well, so that, those are the kind of people that you meet in the industry. In the industry that they care, that they care about each other. About each other. And that's, and that's, you know, you know and, uh, even, my even my competition in town, I've spawned seven, seven, there's seven, there's seven free companies locally, locally that all used to work for me. And I stay, and in, I stay touch in touch with all, with all of them. Right. You know, you know the, 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 the good, good guys. guys. You know, so it's the industry. That's the camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like uh, James William used to say, no matter whose truck they drove or what company they worked for, at the end of the day, they sat down as good friends. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that I strive for too here here, you know, and it's good. Like it, all us trainers and and a lot of the the, 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 the students and stuff, you go to beers after work or whatever. Except that one time it's a schedule and we missed a flight, flight because we're because out, we're for, out beers. for beers. <laughs> oh really? Put me up, Put me up and I'll come. My daughter's home. My daughter's home alone. The house flood. My ex has to bring her boyfriend into my house to fix it because this guy forgot to charge you. It wasn't me, it was Norm, and it was, in, and you had to stay in Calgary. We were in Saskatoon, yeah. We, we, we flew out, and I had to stay in Calgary overnight. You felt bad, but you left me pretty quick. You didn't want the wrath of Thor coming down on you anymore. Uh, but I don't think. 
I may have had something to do with it, but I, if I remember, anyways, it doesn't matter. It, I, I apologize. <laughs> Saskatoon was another interesting place to, to, to teach. That's a city that, that, that I'm going back, back out there. It was awesome. And still a long-term no, customer. We still have a long-standing relationship with the city of Saskatoon. What was, uh, was what the, was the there was one fellow, fellow there that was always pretty pretty, pretty, into, pretty into it. He was uh, more of a religious sort of Tony cut. cut. Tony, what's that? Tony Taves. Tony, Tony, Tony Taves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. well, went to went to his house for dinner a couple of times. You know, his family and toured me about some of the older trees and things. Tony Taves. Yeah, he just texted me this morning actually that they had sold. He had three properties that he owned in that area where he, where he lived, and I think originally was his mother's place. But anyways, they sold they sold all three properties and they bought a new place, a larger place for the family, and uh, they just it just happened. He was letting me know. So I've got a no supposed to go for supper at a new place next time we're in Toontown. Yeah, there you go. You never got to come on it, but we did that. Uh, we did the Red Creek Fur Climb. Um, with the, and that was, uh, Frank Chippy. There's another guy that I miss a lot. You know, he was, he was, he was fun to train with. He was pretty intense individual, but you learned a lot, you know, like we, we were doing the, uh, we, we had the dynamometer set up on a footlock because Frank was, you know, he was world champion at the time and we're doing the footlock and we're just trying to figure out what, what our loads were on, on the dynamometers. So, um, and we were doing a rest, we were doing a rescue and climbing the tail of the rope. So, how much were you loading? So we put the dynamometer up, and Frank at the time, I think he weighed about 185, 190 pounds, and he footlocked up. And the way he thrust it up, he was getting some incredible force loads on the dyno. I think it was well over four or 500 pounds, uh, you know, just that bounce and that spring, you know, on the dyno. And then then we set it up for a rescue scenario where he would footlock up and rescue me. So I had to get my fat ass up 40 feet, footlock up, and then just hang there, and he'd, he'd climb the tail. And the force the loads for me at 240, and him at 185 were less with him climbing climb the tail than they were with him just footlocking foot by himself, himself because, because, you know, I'll use the term mass dampening, which is a lot of mass dampening, but it was, it was, you learn a lot of stuff Yeah, and you know, we don't do as much anymore, and it's far more difficult to do and you know i would say some would argue that rightfully so because it was anecdotal it was non-scientific i think it was enlightening but like now i i think a lot of our instructors might find that irresponsible potentially you know that that we're not we're just creating questions and because it's not doc uh defendable like you could be creating more questions and answers but at the same time you know, I guess I'm t- I feel stuck between those worlds because I really like that part of things, and uh, I think there is value in it. But I th- you know, the way that people can research things these days, the way things can be documented, videoed, and you know, it was left at those days to discussion, and it would be, you know, that's what someone saw and heard. It wasn't what someone watched in a video, you know, and um, I don't know. That's but I do remember that very specifically, and it was very interesting that we had less, like you when two people were on the rope, you know, and I'll talk about that to this day. Like, it's like, it's not the same as it is when it's 
one person can generate more than two, which makes no sense, but it's true. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, we had we had the instrumentation to to deal with it. You know, we did. A, I did another one. I was in in, on, in Victoria doing a, a advanced felling course where we're doing a lot of guying, and the, the the trees that we had to work with was this was this clump of cottonwood. So they were all together. So you push the limits and push the limits as to as to how tight because as we were falling the trees, you know, you're at a 45 degree angle for the first bunch and get the, it got tighter and tighter and tighter until you're, you're only about three or four feet. Like we we pushed it until we failed, so we could figure out exactly how how tight a guy you could have that would make it actually work, you know. And you you just pushed it until it failed, and it was a great learning experience for the for the students because it. You, you set it up as a failure, you know, okay, we're going to work until we, we fail. You don't, you don't go into front of students and then have it fail and then try and explain it. You explain that you're going to fail first and, and they could see where they could actually physically see what you were doing and where the failure point was and what was probable and what was possible. And that was, that was so much fun to do, especially at UBC where we had all that, that those um, alders, which are barber chair heaven. And you could just, you know, you can set up scenarios where, okay, this is an advanced reading course. You guys are going to set up a double block system. You're going to pick the whole tree and you're going to move it over here and then you're going to slide it over here and then you're going to lay it down over there, all with your ropes and rigging, figure it out. You know, you just push stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And I think we do still do a lot of that. But, Tony, I'm curious where you would land on all that kind of stuff. I think when we were doing that originally it was cool because it was in the context of the course you could learn a lot the problem the reason i really don't do it now much uh is because inevitably somebody whips out their phone and they start recording it and then it gets posted somewhere else and it's not in the context of the course anymore and it literally gets taken for science and it's not science um it's so experimentation exactly but it's when it but when I think is what has happened, and I don't know why, and maybe it's part of that social media thing. It can very easily be pulled out of context, and guys are basing like major decisions on something that is just informative. And I don't think that the guys are seeing it that way. So I will do it in a, in a often I'll do that in a course. I have a, you know, dynamometer and we'll do different things and look at forces, but I always, I saw him say, like, I just don't record this because it's not, you can't take it out of the context that it's in this course. That, that's the, the, the hard part with, with social media now is, is exactly what you say. And if somebody takes just part of it and said, right. hey, I saw this guy, he's a professional trainer and he did this, he, you know, right. takes it out of context, not, not knowing that you're trying to push it to failure. You know, it, right. it can be it can be a very dangerous thing. Fortunately, <laughs> I got out of that before social media became a really big deal. <laughs> Yeah. And I find you just have to be careful with it because like you said, they take a snippet of it or they take and it's out of context. And then because you saw it on the internet, it must be true now. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's a, you you walk a fine line there. And I think it's too, I think the students now, they want a little more data preciseness than, um, you know, than what you can give them. So I think it's, it's like, I love to use it when we're setting up five to one systems. Cause you pull it, you know, you get a hundred pounds and you, you get 200 pounds and it really brings stuff home. And, but I'm very, very careful about using it. You know, if it could be taken out of context, because it just, it, it could really, I wouldn't want someone to take that information as being, Oh, this is fact, you know, this can be done and then ma- base a decision on that and then have something go terribly wrong. And that's, it's, that's you know, the, the, the interesting thing with our, with our industry is I have, I have never climbed 
two identical trees or felled two identical trees, every scenario is completely different. So it's, you, you got to fill up your toolbox, you know, that, that mm. mental toolbox. The problem I find with guys today, like I've, I've got some real keeners and, and good guys, you know, one, in fact, the guy that fell, he, he placed second in the BC three climbing championships. His first competition was, was just outside the top 10 at the PNWs in his first, first crack at it. And, and he'll, he'll be right up in the top in a year or two, but you, they, they have so much available to them that they don't know which tool to pull out of the, of the box. Like there's so many in there. They can't make a decision as to what's the best tool to use or what's the best technique to use. I mean, sometimes when you're taking a tree down, you know what? Cut and chuck, you know, chunk it down. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, there's, there's a, a, there's, there's a guy at the coast who's a contract climber. He's a great guy, super good guy, super knowledgeable, um, really knows his stuff. Uh, but he has a tendency when he's contracting for people to overcomplicate things and set up these incredible rigging scenarios, which are awesome, but they take from a practical standpoint, which is what, what I really liked about Arb Canada and, and, and Arbor Master is we're trying to teach these guys how to be good arborists but most of them are working for themselves or working for businesses or the city. They also need to be productive, you know, so teaching them which tool. This tool is going to make this job quicker. If you can put a three-to-one in and a five-to-one, if you can slow it down and rig out bigger pieces or you can do lifts or drifts or whatever, that's going to make the job easier. But don't unnecessarily complicate it, which happens a lot with a lot of the, the newer generation of guys. Yeah, very much so. Sometimes harder is smarter. And it's, it's a message you got to get. Sometimes it's, it's a hard job. It's a hard dollar. And sometimes you work hard and there's no way around it. It's the best, most efficient, safest way to get it done. You know? Yeah. It, 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 and that's the, that's the whole deal. What's the safest, most economical Mm -hmm. way to get it done. You want those tools in your toolbox, but there's so much gear out there now and so many different rigging techniques that, that, and, and, techniques that are people are exposed to that it can overcomplicate things and that can be that it's 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 the guy with little experience but a lot of a lot of knowledge but no experience that's the that's the danger mm. you know that's that's where it can, can get complicated and and i think that's where we see some of the injuries in our industry is is guys that are overcomplicating things a little bit mm. too much you want to teach them all of that mm. stuff but you you got to start with the basics that's mm. the best thing that with uh, with with Arb Canada when we first started and, and Arbor Master is you went over the history of saddles and you had ten different saddles from 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 the beginning kind of stuff to to the latest at the time and 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 you went through the history of it you went through the history of ropes you went through the history of all of that stuff the history of climbing the progression of knots and hitches well these guys are coming into the industry like I still make my my staff here tile Blake hitch. You know, because of that one time that Johnny Ransom dropped that his little hitch out of the tree when he got to the top and he had to win the competition on a closed system. Right. You, you don't you know, you got to. I think Norm, Norm, he probably got it from you, but he used to he used to tell a, 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 a scenario where you know you you have that old pickup truck and you, you you had to bend this one little wrench this certain way to get that one little bolt under the distributor cap. We don't have that pickup truck anymore, but you still have that wrench in the toolbox, you know. So you can't forget if you got to learn from the ground up, you got to learn those basics because it, you, you you need them sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And it- 
I think there's sort of two. I see a little bit of a gap. Like there's a lot of guys, they're good technicians and they understand how the, what the equipment can bear. They understand the ropes and all the, the knots and the hitches. What they're lacking is a knowledge of tree structure, right? You, 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 oh, yeah. you, they'll put this great system up there and it's like, dude, you, that's not a good spot for it. You know, you need, and they're like, what? I'm like, you, don't you understand that's a, you know, that branch union is not strong. Put it on the next one. And they're like, oh. I'm like, yeah, you know, the tree's part of it. So as like I said, part of the arboriculture, one of the difference with arboriculture Canada training was given that it's, you can have the equipment, but you also have to have the, you have to know what the tree's doing, right? Because that's the unpredictable thing. So one thing you can't A lot of that comes with experience in the industry. It was another, I think it was Dwayne that, that uh, we're, we're at a course. It was one of the first ones. And it's something that I stuck, stuck. I, I tell my guys too, he said, when that old guy is hanging around and you're teaching, and he looks at you or you're on the job site and he's an old logger, an old arborist or something like that. And he looks at you and he says, you know, Sonny, I just don't think it's going to quite work that way. Listen, because he might know something about the trees in that area, because I I certainly know that the, the, the trees in my area, the same species when I'm climbing in Monetary and stuff, they react a little bit differently. And, they, and, you know, and then their structures a little bit differently. They may grow quicker at the West Coast and they're weaker wooded, you know. So it's it's all of those things and there's little bits and pieces of information that you can garner from most people around you. That was the, the cool, one of the, the real cool things about the, the training companies is being able to teach in Victoria and then do a seminar in Toronto and then and, and teach in St. Catharines and do, do a, a training seminar for Vermeer in, in Fresno and then do train the trainer in, in, in Tampa, you know, and then work in the wintertime in frozen trees in Winnipeg, you know, so you had this diverse set of knowledge that you could only garner through, through the experiences that we had, you know, and, and, and to be able to pass that on is, is pretty special. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we're trying to, it's uh, it's a balancing act with that, you know, to because the guys always still enjoy that. They enjoy, you know, experiencing tree work and tree training tree work in different locales. It does, um, it seasons the toolbox, if you will. It, it, it does, yeah, it does. You know, and I think, sure, uh, sure. I think it's, uh, there's a word that came to be, when you were talking, you know, I think the word, it seems, I feel like it's humility, you know, like it's, it's always having a place for someone else's experience. And, you know, you just never know, you know, like just to be able to give pause to whoever, whatever someone's thinking or thought, they just might see something you didn't see or you don't know. And being willing to take time to do that and be open to whatever, you know, like it's when, you know, I know for myself when I've, if I get too narrow minded or focused, like I think I know, you know, I, I can miss what might be obvious. I remember doing a hazard danger course up in Fort Mac and we had this hung tree and uh, it, it had broke off maybe 10 foot up and then it was tilted hung over and then we're looking at the trunk section trying to figure what kind of cut of the three cuts could we put in it and me in the whole class and there was there was there was one new person very new he wasn't even really from the harbor industry at all he was just hired there and uh most of the other crew he had you know wasn't their first time on an arbor canada course so we're trying to figure out how can we utilize this scenario to create it, make it safe and apply the, the lesson. 
And, you know, he just looked at it and he was like, well, what if you got a rope over the, you know, where it was broken and you just were to pull on it? And you could, you know, you have this equipment and yeah, it was the, it was the best way to do it. It, it just made sense. And why would you force another way? Just for the sake of, you know, so we did that, dealt with it, and then we could, we found another tree. But none of us saw it, and he saw it because he was looking at it so simplistically. Exactly. We, we've, uh, with, with, with Bart, we have to have a monthly safety committee meeting, and, and it, it involves myself as the manager, the admin, because she's just super smart, and uh, the LOSC, our local office safety coordinator, and the last guy hired the newest guy that doesn't know shit. And he's there because he's looking at things from a different perspective, right? Like it, it, it's, it's, we get so used to things like you can go into your house and you've got that old pile of magazines in the corner and you don't even see it anymore. It's been sitting there for 10 years covered in dust and you don't even know it's there. Right. But a new guy comes along and he sees that and, and, and cleans it up. You know, chips, chips had a really good example. I don't know if you remember Darren Greger or not. Um, what the hell was that saying that he he came up with that? Um, uh, it'll come to me in a minute here, but it was his. He was on Chips's job. He was he was new ground guy. It was maybe the first or second day that he was working, and Frank had gone up. He had tied up and above um, uh, the piece that he was going to rig out. So he, he stayed on his on his line. He did the uh, he did the uh, um, the face cut. You know, well, he was still tied above, set all his rigging, and it was about to start his back kite. Well, he hadn't extracted his line from above yet. And and Darren is, looks at this and he says, he says, uh, I, I, I don't know much about this, but that just doesn't look right to me. And and Frank looked at it and, and you know, new guy saved his life just, just like that, you know. You know, so it's... Everybody looks at things from a different perspective, and and it's 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 important. Humility is something that comes with failure, comes with comes with age, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and seeing some things. And and uh, man, I've been humbled a lot by by the trees themselves, and and you learn, you know. One of Shigo's pithy points, uh, you wouldn't know it by the way I'm talking today, but one of Shigo's pithy, pithy points was. You have two ears and one mouth. Mm. There is a lesson here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think humility comes from a position of wanting to learn too, right? And I think you know of all the Arbor Can instructors I've been involved with over the years, and active and inactive. It's like there was all one of the reasons we did it is we wanted to share and help people, but we also just wanted to learn, had that creativity or that curiosity that was like insatiable about the work, and you know what you'll listen to people because they might, you know, like you can be humble because you have to listen, take everything into account. And I think that leads to a lot. It is. It is. It's impossible to learn something you think you already know. Um, I've been, I've got a a degree in horticulture. I've been an arborist, certified arborist since 96, a trainer with Arb Canada for a long period of time. And I know that I know less now than I did then. You know, you just, the, you, 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 as you age and you get wisdom and humility, you start to know what you don't know. And that's an important, that's a super important thing to, to learn. The scariest one are, you know, these, these guys, and I was, I was one of them. I didn't know what I didn't know. 
like you know i i knew everything you know and and you take it to heart but now you, you get older you, you start to know what you don't know and and uh, you can learn and hanging around with some of the guys uh, i don't know if you've met uh, dr zwart from 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 bartlett or not Dwayne, but uh, or smiley or those guys. you know smiley course, yeah. but, but but dr zwart is he, he he loves hockey he loves football he'll drink loves beer and he's one of the boys and then you take this guy and and you put him in a room of scientists and then you listen to what they're saying and what they're talking and and you feel so stupid <laughs> it's it's amazing what you can learn you know it was like hanging out with 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 with, with Shigo and and the the depth of knowledge of some of these guys is just amazing and you can garner something from from anybody that you're that you're talking to you can garner a little piece of knowledge and if you don't learn something new every day you haven't had a good day yeah i agree yeah it's uh and you know like kennedy said the greater our knowledge increases the greater our ignorance unfolds (laughs) it 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 is it absolutely does you know but it's that's where you have to have the you you have to have the humility and not pigeon pigeonhole yourself for for one idea you know that there's we haven't learned hardly anything yet as as far as trees go there's so many things that we're learning uh with with paul stamets work in 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 having the the mycorrhizal between the trees feeding each other and communicating with each other and all that work that's being done and i love to Royal Roads has a great setup where there was, they had felled a bunch of trees years and years and years ago, you know, probably in the 30s or 40s. And there were these four and five foot stumps in the bush that completely compartmentalized. You know, they completely walled over on the top. And I find that here and there once in a while up here, but it's amazing to look at that these other trees to protect themselves, you know, healed off this thing that we thought was dead. You know, and it's it, and that's just a, a, a very, very small example of just opening your eyes and seeing what's out there. Yeah. You know, and those, I have pictures of those stumps in one of our in the pruning or the biology section of the pruning book. I can't remember, maybe even in the tree rest book. But, you know, I've, I was we do often talk about how great it would be to one day dissect them. And I'm, I don't, hopefully nobody, you know, if it ever comes to that, that someone that appreciates it would actually be the one to, to take time to see what went on in there. Dave actually kicked a guy off of the site because he wanted to. Uh, he says, "Well, I'm going to cut these lower for you, so I can take a moment, turn some bolts." And he says, "No, no, you're not." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he would have. He would have. Well, um, it was a uh, man. What a great uh, trip down memory lane, as they could say. You know, it was. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Thor. We don't have a, a set time. It, it seems like it's always a natural, I don't know, maybe just a natural biorhythm of you know, uh, biological responses or whatever that happens at this time. But it's, uh, it's it seems like right around 70 minutes is where we get, uh, we often segue, but um, we don't have to by any means. But I wanted to thank you, you know, uh, for the time that you have spent. And uh I, it's just it's I just really enjoy it myself. So it's a great, you know. I, I you know I remember James would talk about this. He would he would be very careful to mention that while he loved helping people, 
and training was something that he was passionate about, he was always very careful to explain that he loved it and he got that out of it too. And if he didn't get, if it stopped being meaningful for him and stopped, you know, if the river stopped flowing underneath his boat, he wouldn't get on it anymore, you know, and uh, it was the selfish side of training for him. You know, he said, I love it so much. And that's how I feel about these, you know. I think it's I think it's everyone, and, and and you talk about the connections and the training and what you get out. I got one last story. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Naramata. Started my own company. Never done crane work before, but you and I had talked about it. And you had mentioned how it's done, and and I've never been to a crane course. So we've got a. I think it was about a forty ton crane there. We're picking apart this dead dead as a doornail cottonwood and there's nobody else around here that can that can do it so someone's got to do it you're the guy standing there so i've got tony if you could imagine i've got the crane set up i'm in my gear i've got Dwayne on the phone going okay crane set up it's over the pick what do we do now he says okay have him bring the boom down to you tie in he's gonna lift you up above okay okay i'm above the tree now Dwayne. what do i do now <laughs> Maybe that oh, was Arbor like, Canada's first crane course. It was the f- yeah, it was it was Arb Canada's first. Right. I can guarantee it was Arb Canada's was first crane course. Phone a friend. It was the, crane it was done in the moment. And- 